Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm a rather croaky Matt Deegan. On the show today, Lucy Fraser becomes the UK's latest culture secretary as Michelle Donnellan takes the digital from DCMS with her. Speaking of reshuffles, the transformation is underway at Disney after a loss of 2.4 million subscribers. And BBC Chair Richard Sharp is grilled by the Parliamentary Select Committee but has public trust been damaged? Plus, the Indie Growth Lab, Fraz Osman, takes into the brand new conference for growing your independent production company. And following the screen theme the media quiz is a telly content special that's all coming up in this edition of the media podcast in the news this week the public order bill has been amended to include protection for journalists a new clause states police officers may not prevent someone from observing or reporting on a protest the change comes after lbc reporter charlotte lynch and media colleagues were arrested in november during the m25 protests lynch has said it's vital journalists are not deliberately prevented from reporting on legitimate projects i hope this amendment continues to receive support meanwhile the new york times has signed a deal with google just as the publisher hit 11 million subscribers. The deal, similar to one signed with News Corp two years ago, will see the two companies work together on subscriptions, marketing and ad product experimentation. And limits have been bent and broken at Twitter. A new feature available to Twitter Blue subscribers in the US will extend the 280 character limit. The change was announced via a tweet reading more words, more words, more words uh, and so on, uh, basically met by users commenting with various repeated phrases including beef, dinosaur and dumb idea. Meanwhile, some Twitter users were unable to tweet on Wednesday uh, after an error caused some users to receive a message stating you are already over the daily limit for sending tweets. What will come next? But on the show today, two media experts who are never over their daily allowances and here to make sense of the latest reshuffles in the industry. First up, we've got media commentator and Channel 4 historian Maggie Brown. Hi, Maggie. You were at Sky this week for their briefing. What's been going on? Well, it was actually rather interesting. They were very upbeat. They were showing masses and masses of new shows and titles that I I was sort of really quite overwhelmed by that. But that shows probably that we haven't been getting out much, to be honest. And it was also (laughs) a breakfast breakfast, uh, on Monday morning, which is a bit challenging for most people, I think. So I I think I took a bit of time to absorb what they were saying. But it was a very confident presentation. I mean, obviously, a lot of their suppliers are launching their own kind of streaming services. So it's really up to them and their kind of Comcast bosses to, to open up the purse strings and start making more of their own, their own stuff, I guess. I mean, we, we know how they're sharing content as well. And it's it's difficult to know how much they're spending because they won't tell you. But I, mm. I really enjoyed it. And I'm afraid I'm rather biased towards Sky because I like almost everything they do, which is a bit pathetic of me, I know. But I do think that they are very competent broadcasters. And I think Sky News in particular and documentaries are 
doing very well. And also with us is Alex Farber, previously deputy editor at Broadcast and now media correspondent for The Times. Welcome and congratulations on your, your new role. You had quite an interesting piece this week on children being hooked on kind of dangerous or more alternative YouTube shows. What's happening there? That piece was more to do with the fact that the PSBs are investing less in programming and we're seeing more children view more and more programming on YouTube. It's a bit of a wild west on YouTube and the same quality is not assured as you get with the BBC and CITV and, and Milkshake. And I think really there's some concern about the weakening investment from the PSBs into children's, which has shrunk at a faster rate than their investment in, in adult programming. And I think that's that's caused some concerns amongst producers. One of the awful things too, if you, I mean, I do watch a lot of children's television with my little grandchildren, <laughs> and there are adverts aimed at adults very often in some some of the children's channels, which I think is, uh, which makes me, you know, literally flee back to see BBs and. It's really, really sad that they've also, the government decided not to continue with their funding for uh, new programming for, for children. It was successful, but in order to be really successful, you have to have repeats of shows and you have to have new series of shows which are successful. And so it's sort of cut the ground away from under what was, I think, a very promising British initiative. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because children's producers have had that double whammy of uh, obviously the rules around advertising to children has changed, so that there's less income mm. in that space. Young audiences fund, which generally has been very successful and has been pretty well um, regarded by everybody, similar to the audio content fund, which had its report out this week as well. But there's no real movement on that government-wise, which which just seems a shame. And telly takes a while to, to be made too. No, I, I absolutely agree with Matt. I think the problem with those funds... Um, was that they were almost, uh, it was leftover money from unallocated um, licence fee spend. And so it was only ever really a one-off pot of money. And there's quite a lot of nervousness from the BBC particularly around opening up the licence fee for other providers, to other producers to access, and other broadcasters to access. They think that's very much the, the thin end of a wedge of them effectively losing control of the licence fee. So the BBC's not a massive supporter of either of those funds. And in fact, they opted out of taking advantage of them. I mean, it wasn't necessarily designed for them anyway, because relatively the BBC is a big investor in, in both radio and children's, despite what we said a moment ago. But I think the problem is, where is that 40, I think it was 40 million pounds in the end that they invested. Where's that 40 million going to come from? It was only ever a discretionary one-off payment. And I'm not convinced that anyone's got the answer to, to how that funding is going to be repeated. That's the point. I mean, contestable funding has been one of those big ideas that you assumed uh, a Conservative government might actually back. So I, I just find it very disappointing because it's not a huge amount of money. The person who's going to have to find that money is uh, the new culture secretary. This is Lucy Fraser. She's become the 12th in as many years culture secretary after uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak reshuffled his cabinet on Tuesday. Uh, although she might have a slightly different title because her predecessor, Michelle Donnellan, has taken the digital mandate with her to the new Department of Science, Innovation, Technology, leaving the DCMS more the CMS uh, or, or back what it was before. Alex, I mean, 12 in 12 years, why does this role have such high turnover? I think it's almost one for every year I was at broadcast. It's it's very hard to keep track. I mean, maybe it's a sign of the 
lack of respect that the government has for the brief. And perhaps, you know, it's always been slightly jokingly referred to as the Ministry of Fun. And perhaps there is a, in some respects, it's not considered a a top tier senior role. And so they treat it almost as a staging post and don't keep people in post for as long as they should to justify the seriousness of, of the brief. Because, you know, it's the culture, creative industries are responsible for generating a lot of income, both domestically and um, internationally. Well, especially when the governments of the day are always obsessed with what the media does and what journalists do. Uh, and obviously, we've talked a lot about the Channel 4 decision. And maybe that will be what Michelle Donnellan is best known for uh, during her time there. Uh, Maggie, do you think that would be her legacy for, for saving Channel 4 from uh, commercial hands once again? And from Nadine Doris. Yes, uh, it is a very, very good thing. I mean, she's only been there five five months, but she has actually made that decision and the correct decision, in my view. And it was obviously very closely fought and um, it could have gone the other way. So I'm very pleased about that. I think what's happened is that when the Conservatives came in, uh, Jeremy Hunt was the first uh, Culture Secretary to come in. Now he served 2010 to 12. Maria Miller followed. She did another sort of almost two years. And John Whittingdale. I agree that they were trying out certain ministers, but they were actually taking it quite seriously because they had the BBC to, uh, you know, reorganise as they saw it. And you have uh, Whittingdale actually seeing through a new charter. But we all know after Cameron left, and remember too, there was a coalition with the Liberals, so they couldn't, Lib Dem, so they couldn't do too much really, too much damage. You then have this uh, period of instability. That's what we've really had in politics. And so you then have this, as I see it, literally sort of stream of culture secretaries going through the motions. One is only there for a couple of weeks, a few months. It turns from you know two or three years into a kind of parade of, of culture secretaries. All of this is creating a degree of, of instability, really, in governments. One of the big changes is obviously the digital part uh, that was kind of added to, to DCMS a little while ago being kind of removed and sent away. Alex, do you think digital should have stayed with DCMS or is, is it right to live in a, a business tech world? I think as digital becomes an increasingly all-pervading area of our lives, it does make sense for it to be carved out into its own department just due to the scale of it and the complexity of it. And perhaps in some respects, it it could be not a distraction exactly, but it could be too broad a brief if they were kept together. And I think there's arguments either way, but I do think that digital these days is a much, much broader than just the media and culture. It has matured to an extent whereby its own department is justified. Well, the other thing that's been happening in media and politics is Richard Sharp, the chairman of the BBC. He appeared before a parliamentary committee hearing uh, this week, defending himself against accusations of helping Boris secure a loan uh, before being appointed to his current role. I mean, Alex, you had a piece in The Times on Sharp's grilling. I mean, he didn't kind of cover himself in glory, did he? No, and I'm not sure that the committee itself is terribly impressed either. They're going to report back this weekend in terms of their review of his performance and, well, and their views of the situation. And I think that there is some concern amongst members that he not only 
refuses to acknowledge that what he did may have been perceived as problematic, but he doesn't even consider it to have been a problem. What you mean is he didn't apologise, did he? I mean, this he was the real apologize. point. I mean, he was basically almost invited to at the end of the um, session, which I watched, and I I thought he did get, get quite beaten up, really. But he remained throughout very calm. Um, he was excessively polite, giving people their titles, all the rest of it. And he was tr he did not get angry or cross with them. One of the things about this, I think, is that you have to remember, this is one of the most serious and big public jobs you can do. It's a really, really prestigious job. And it was also the 100th anniversary of the BBC. So this was a really big appointment, however you look at it. And what you actually see is that this committee was feeling as if it had actually been misled. It seemed to them that he had not been straight with them. And the key thing is that when you have these grillings, and I've been to many of these at the, in the House of Commons, in Parliament, when they come to the end of them, they ask a question, is there anything we ought to know? Is there anything you want to say? And it's that which was really irritating them, that he didn't see the need to tell them about this contact he's had. And if he had, it may not have led to him being appointed, but it would have actually cleared it up. It's about the parliamentary process and democracy as well. And that's why they were they were all really cross, actually, I think. Don't you think, Alec? Yeah, they were. And it'll be interesting to see. There's obviously further inquiries to come. The BBC has a review into whether there was any conflicts of interest since he took the post on. And the Appointments Committee is also conducting a review. So... The question will be whether pressure builds to such an extent that he feels as if his position becomes untenable. Well, listening to um, our friend Roger Bolton's Beeb Watch podcast, he had a Richard Eyre on, who was kind of former controller of editorial uh, policy at BBC News. And he said, um, after performance today, there'll be a very considerable disquiet amongst BBC staff and many licence fee payers, and they will write to be disquieted. I mean, Alex, he hasn't really got any supporters, has he? There's no one that's kind of really sort of keen that this is resolved or is, or is, is supporting what he did. Do you think he is done? Is this going to lead to, to his resignation? Well, I think there's a degree to which he's becoming tarnished with this. And in some respects, that could be considered unfortunate. You know, it's a bit like we're seeing with the administration with number 10. There becomes such such bad noise around ministers that Sunak feels obliged to, to let them go. And you, you do wonder whether Sharp's at risk of damaging the BBC reputationally by remaining in post. I mean, he's someone that has really been banging the drum about independence for the BBC and, you know, being fair. And he's sort of fallen into his own elephant trap. Well, I mean, I think his one of his main messages is restoring, as he sees it, impartiality. But I think the only way really now, if he is if, for example, he can pull a really good deal for the BBC World Service, for example, if if he were able to persuade the government that they need to add extra money in for the language services, for example, to ensure that the public don't pay for things which are actually a great good for Great Britain. So if something like that happened, it might restore some of his sort of usefulness. He set up a very commercial board, remember, for BBC Studios. So he's crammed that or is cramming that with all sorts of business people as opposed to creative people. He's got an agenda there. 
if there's a change of government, you can be absolutely sure that there's going to be a new person chairing the BBC. I mean, Alex, picking up on that, you know, he was Rishi Sunak's boss previously. Obviously, he's kind of mates with Boris. I mean, even the I think the chair of the appointments panel has had to recuse himself because he kind of knows him as well. I mean, all of this is it's kind of creeping, isn't it? All of the all of these elements together. We knew from the beginning that he was a, a donor to the Tory party. And we, you know, he came in and was quite open about the fact that he felt he could exert influence for it within Westminster for the BBC's good. So I don't think he's ever sought to hide that. But I do think that the the nature of the relationship and the role that he played um, and the failure to declare it and the failure to recognise that it could be perceived as problematic is the trap that he's fallen into more than the fact that he was close to the Tories anyway. The chair appointments have always been political and, and many, many cultural roles have been made that fit with the party of the Times colours. And I suspect it will ever be thus. Yes, it's the mixture of great wealth with actual power, isn't it, really? And he, of course, he worked with the Mayor of London, which was, of course, Boris Johnson, before Boris Johnson uh, became Prime Minister. They go back a long way. So it's, it doesn't shock me as much as uh, perhaps I ought to be shocked. But I still think this is a particularly distasteful episode, really, for the BBC to be experiencing at this point in time. Thanks both. We're going to be back talking Disney in just a bit. Next up, this week's deep dive is a telecontent special. A managing director of Gold Waller, Faraz Osman, takes us to a brand new conference for the indie sector, Growth Lab. So yes, I'm in a tall glass building in Canary Wharf, um, owned by one of the big financial companies. And it's another bright, sunny day, although bitterly cold, uh, which is kind of a good reflection of how the industry is looking right now. Uh, things feel like they're a bit cold, but there are still some grass green shoots emerging and some blue skies ahead. And events like this are helping companies actually like mine figure out what the hell they can do to make sure they can continue to grow when the market is feeling a little bit fragile. Uh, I'm going to be trying to stop some people around these halls and uh, figure out if I can get some insight for listeners about what is going on in the TV indie market and see if there are some words of wisdom that the pioneers of the industry can offer us as well as give us some idea as to how this industry is shaping up moving forward. Hi, I'm Victoria Pearl. I'm the founder and programme director at Indie Lab. We're putting on the event Growth Lab today, our conference focused on the indie sector and helping UK producers to really develop their businesses and grow them in the UK and international market. So there are loads of indies around here, some of whom I know from Indie Lab, some of whom I know from the industry, some really great names that are kind of making some really incredible stuff. But also the panellists and the panels you've got here are, are proper star names, uh, as well as some distributors and finance people. Give us, give us a flavour of, of who's here to our listeners, of, of who is actually kind of wandering around these hallowed halls of this beautiful big glass building in the Canary Wharf. Yeah, so we've been yeah incredibly uh, pleased to get a you know brilliant turnout. So we've got Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, uh, we've got BBC Studios, we've got Banerjee. Banerjee having just literally announced yesterday a significant investment fund into small independent production companies in the UK. We have a production finance market hall full of. 12 distribution and production finance partners all here literally to do business with indies so as i keep saying to all the indies in the room you know go go including me <laughs> including you go and have a chat with them about your show because they're here to try and you know to try and do business and help get shows away 
Well, it's really incredibly exciting. I'm now going to take this microphone and like wander the halls and try and nab people to talk to me as part of the media podcast. So thank you for inviting us. We'll see who we can find to give us some tips about how to grow an indie. Hi there, I'm Sam Barcroft and I'm the founder of Creativeville. Sam, that's, that's like you being quite humble. It's not just that, it's the legend that is Sam Barcroft. Oh, um, you've like had some quite, you've got quite an impressive background now. So tell our listeners kind of what you've done. I've kind of hyped you up quite a lot, so don't disappoint them. Tell our listeners like what is Sam Barcroft and in particular what Barcroft Productions did in, in revolutionising what TV looks like online. Well, um, I started my career in the press and as that started to get uh, smashed to bits by the internet, I moved into creating content for TV companies and for YouTube mainly and uh, that was a really interesting space where nobody else saw it coming Um, and so by the time everybody else figured out YouTube was going to be a thing we'd built channels with 10 million subscribers and we're getting 500 million video views of our original documentaries every month and um, we took that all the way to being the number one news and current affairs channel on YouTube and went from there to make Netflix originals and shows for the BBC and Channel 4 and Channel 5 and then sold our company to Future PLC in 2019. Give us a bit of a insider track on, on what you're chatting to the indie community about here. So uh, I've been asked to talk about pivoting your business and I used to hate change. Um, when I first worked in the media I worked in photography into photo editing and uh, photojournalism and then pivoted my business in as we talked about before into television and video and social media Uh, I didn't want to and I didn't plan to but it felt necessary to stay alive and um, really that change taught me that pivoting your business can go from being the worst thing in the world to the best thing in the world and I want to encourage everybody here to think about how they can best stay flexible and adaptable um, and take full advantage of the multitude of opportunities that exist today in the media space because I do think that this is the biggest time of opportunity in media of all time on the planet. I'm going to try and encourage people to think about the art of the possible today rather than the challenge of what feels like it's happening to them. Uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Sam Barcroft to gaze into his elusive crystal ball and tell us what he thinks next in, is coming up next in the media. So if you were to give us like one thing that we should be looking out for, what's, what's getting you excited about what the landscape's looking like? So I think the big new trend for 23 and 24 is going to be the rise of the mega influencer. I think people like Jimmy Donaldson, who's known as Mr. Beast, and the Sidemen and other folks like that are going to become even bigger than they are at the moment. And I think they are the new rat pack or brat pack of uh, the 21st century and will own billion pound media companies before very long. Um, that will be by far the most important box office in the Western world. Thanks, Sam. Looking forward to your talk. We'll I'll catch you later. I'm Paul Heaney from Boston Over. Jasmine Joseph from Boston Over. So as listeners, you might not know what Boston Over is, but, but you're kind of part of the distribution world that actually helps run creative content on a lot of screens not just on telly but like one of my kind of weird fascinations is in-flight telly um, and how shows end up on on airlines which is kind of part of what you guys do but it's taking a show that might be made in the UK that's finished and then getting it sold around the world have I, have I got it right? That, uh, traditionally that was the role of a distributor to distribute the show around the world now because the economy has changed around the world and funding models have changed now we're much more of a 
bank as well as we are a distributor. So we help finance and we help co-create, we help co-develop uh, projects um, that we can then sell ourselves as a, as a global distributor. So, yeah, the world used to be a very simple place. Now it's a, a patchwork quilt of finance where you say, well, I'll put uh, Channel 4 together with, um, you know, SBS Australia and with Sundance in the States. But it's quite controversial, right? There are, there are some distributors that feel like they are being used as a bank, and whereas what it was previously is, is production companies would have finished tape and they would then bring it to you, and that's how indies can grow. We're at Growth Lab, and that's kind of part of the business model. As you say, it's changing now. Do you think it's, there's new opportunity or, or, or indies kind of being stifled before they can grow? It's, um, I don't know what you think, Jazz. Jazz, uh, my colleague next to me, runs the development day in January every year, which we're the only distributors that have anything like this, which is a, it's a unique... I'm going to get Jazz to tell me. This sounds exciting. I want to get involved in this. What is this, Jazz? Um, so our development day is an initiative that Paul created at our, our TCB Media Rights, his previous company, and it used to be quite small I think yeah. so it back in the day I had no involvement in it and then when I joined Bossa Nova um, during the pandemic it had to be virtual so we got loads of producers and broadcasters in a room together all at the same time um, and we had about 80 buyers in the room virtually and in person at our last development day last month and producers come in and pitch shows back to back and then producers the broadcasters in the room rate it out of 10 and say if they're going to pre-buy or acquire or not interested and it's a good way to get shows commissioned so you know what my next question is going to be then don't you so what, what have been the success stories of, of this event so Congel was the show that was when was it? Um, 2020, like two years yeah, ago. Yeah, two years ago, um, and it just fully delivered, and it's airing on the 22nd of Feb, and that was from Development Day. Um, and then Secrets of Lost Liners, Ancient Egypt by Train, yeah, Ottoman um, Empire by Train. Yeah, Flight Attendant Murders. So we have about about 10% of the projects pitched will have we'll have managed to get over the line, which you think of a standard commissioning day that you get at a broadcaster, that's a very good strike rate. Thank you guys, it was really good to understand this, this slightly technical world, but, but really, comp really kind of key to, to how we get our TV made. Very good, thank you. So my name is Matt Campion, I am the creative director of Spirit Studios. Matt, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Um, the listeners at home, fans of the podcast, might know in some, a lot of the work that you've done. So just give us a quick overview of the incredible slate that you've got going on at Spirit right now. Oh, in terms of podcasting, yeah, we, we run um, shows like Private Parts, um, Homo Sapiens, which, um, which I, I absolutely love Homo Sapiens. It's, um, it's a sort of a look at the world from a queer perspective. And we've, we've had some incredible guests um, people that I never thought we would ever get. Um, people like Debbie Harry, Michael Stipe, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, like, just people that you'd never think would be possible. But it's one of the things about podcasting, isn't it? And um, in this new day and age. Um, we also do um, Secret 2 with Vicky Patterson. Um, we also run a, a whole load of um, commissioned pods. So we do things like um, Inner Monologue with Olivia Neal for Spotify and Sex Lies and DM Slides. 
uh, also with Spotify, yeah. And, and that's on top of all the TV work you're doing. So you're doing one of the keynote speeches here, which is talking about how companies can find their USP. It seems quite clear, that whole funny and feeling that you've got a spirit kind of drives every idea you have, every part of the business you have. And, uh, and, and you feel quite passionately that if you want to grow a business, having that USP is key to kind of, for, even for creative businesses that may not necessarily be talking to consumers, but they're actually talking to businesses and, and even businesses react to having a USP and understanding what your business is about and what you're trying to sell. Um, and you gave some insight to that to some of the audience here, right? Yeah, so, um, so the USP, that unique selling proposition, is, is literally the thing that makes you stand out from the crowd. We, our industry is such a complicated, competitive industry. It's almost sort of insanity to be in it. And, and yet, um, if you can stand out and shine brightly doing what you do really, really well and be known for a thing, then it, it turns you into a magnet. And, I, and when I first went on this journey to develop our USP, I was so worried about things like, um, oh my God, am I shutting myself off to so many ideas that I could sell? Or, or um, you know, peop- what if people just go, oh no, they couldn't do that. Um, am I closing myself off to, off to opportunity? But actually what I've realized is that um, those companies that do everything without a unique selling proposition, without that, that thing that you're known for, you, you sort of you become a bit sort of um, sort of paint by numbers. It's sort of it's a bit bland, and I don't think anyone really talks about companies. People, when you when you think of the industry, you talk about the companies that really stand out. And so, obviously, everyone's going to want to know what's your next show then. So, what, what's the thing that's coming up next that we can look out for from Spirit Studios? I'll talk about a couple of different things. So, okay, we're moving into scripted. Um, we have um, a show that is sort of 18 months down the line with the BBC, which is a three-part series, which is um, looking to move to the final scripting stage now. Um, that show is about um, a... I feel like you're holding back secrets no, here. Well, how, no, no, how can I eat I this out mind, of you here, Matt? I don't, mind, I don't mind telling you. I just, it's, I have to be careful because... Um, because of where we are contractually. But um, that show is about a family in therapy and a toxic father. And, um, and it's very dramatic, um, but the, the spine of the, of the format is this family group therapy that is set in the middle of the Lake District. And it has all these, like, it, we flash to... Um, the different versions of the story from each of the person, either people's minds. So what you do is you get to see, uh, you get to see family dynamics, you get to see how parents screw their kids up, and you also get to see how we're all thinking different things when we all think we should be thinking the same. And that is a real common trait in humans. So I'm really excited about that. We've got a really, really big actor attached to the main part it sounds like an incredibly exciting project and the best of luck with it I know dramas are a, are a long process especially compared to podcasts so, so I'm sure that there's been a lot of patience that's gone into it and I hope it's a massive success yeah thanks man right well the talks here are done and the networking has begun so I'm off to see if I can figure out where the deals are being made and the checks are being cut so all that's left for me to do is hand back over to you Matt and say thank you very much that was Fraz Osman. To learn more about Growth Lab, go to weareindielab.co.uk. It's time for a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this with the latest on Bob Iger's Disneyland and the media quiz. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back with Alex and Maggie for part two. Uh, our experts have lots to update us on as Disney has had its third restructure in five years or a potential one, definitely. So the story is they've reported an overall rise in revenues of 8%, but subscribers to Disney Plus have been dropping. They've dropped 2.4 million to 161.8 million uh, in the final quarter of last year. Uh, and in response to that, the new slash old CEO, Bob Iger, has rolled out a transformation uh, uh, talking about cutting its workforce by 3.2%, that's 7,000 people, uh, and arguing that the company needs to save $5.5 billion US dollars in costs. Alex, this is Bob's uh, first big move since stepping back into the CEO's chair. Is this enough to, to quiet uh, the, the Disney critics? Well, I think that Disney Plus is made a very strong start and shot very quickly to 100 million subscribers to become one of the top SVODs in the world. And I don't think it should be forgotten the amount of growth it gained in a very, very short period of time. And so I do consider that they are not exactly in trouble. But I think that there is there has been cuts. I mean, look, we've seen cuts across the board from all the US big tech companies um, and many media companies, I'm thinking, you know, with Warner Brothers Discovery. So, you know, in many respects, they are following the wider market by emulating cuts and making efficiencies that, unfortunately, we've seen across all media companies and organisations. I mean, a big, a big discussion for the for the kind of the, the new streamers, kind of post Netflix, uh, was that they'd pull all their content from all the third party platforms, own all their subscribers direct, and that's kind of the brave new future. But we've kind of seen all of them start to wobble a little bit on that, haven't we? Because uh, starting to resell back to TV networks or taking stuff off streamers, something that Warner Brothers Discovery did with some shows on HBO. It's not quite the future that they all promised two years ago, is it? Well, I think there's always a, a rush to the shiny new thing. And then over time, there's often a realisation that actually there were certain aspects of the old models that were in place for a reason and worked very well. And I think ultimately, um, we've seen a plethora of digital services launch. And in some respects, we're in an environment now where there's so much choice 
and we have you know stretched consumer spending power and so people are picking much more carefully where they want to spend their money and at the end of the day content owners have to go to where the audiences are and if that means partnering with uh, organizations with rivals that they previously backed away from and there's che- there's money to be made from that then that's a decision that they're going to have to make. Well, kind of picking up on that, in the Wall Street Journal this week, it was reported that the proposed merging of HBO Max and Discovery Plus uh, by Warner Brothers Discovery is also kind of being reconsidered, partly because Discovery Plus is sort of a bit of a cheaper streamer, whereas HBO is very premium in, in, in the US. And so putting that together would create something that's very expensive uh, for consumers. Um, Maggie, do you think that, that is, is an issue that the, all of the, the big media companies are thinking about, that having one home for all their content isn't maybe the right thing to do and the credit crunch and, and people's purses means they have to have a bit of a rethink? Well, there's definitely a credit crunch, as we all know, and and, and worse. I think when it when you look at Disney, I think Alex is absolutely correct. It, it had amazing growth, but some of that was in the pandemic when it was giving its service away for free. So it was building up an audience appreciation. I think it still has because people are naturally, if families in particular, terribly drawn to to the Disney offer. When it comes to other services, you're dealing with a a wide range of ages. And one of the things we noticed when we were at the Sky thing, the Sky Breakfast on Monday, was that while they were definitely aiming, for example, their comedy at a youth audience or a young adults under 35, there was also a great deal of interest in older women who are very loyal TV and and voracious very often uh, viewers of of, of television. And also they quite like scheduled programs as well, things to sort of um, give their, their lives a rhythm. So the audience is not one great block of people and neither are our nations either. So it's not necessarily the case that say an American uh, a view of how streamers work fits naturally into a British context. And what we're also finding is that public service broadcasters are not being steamrolled. That's the other thing. You can point to changes in uh, their audience share, but they're not actually uh, out on their ear. They're not that unpopular. So the audience is always a bit more complex, probably, than the businessmen who will go one way and another. And on the other hand, they have the advantage of huge amounts of data. Now, let's not forget that. This is one of the big things now where they have, they know so much about their audiences, certainly at, at big organisations like Sky. I mean, Alex, it's a good, good point from Maggie there that, you know, is, is UK broadcasting, you know, distinct from actually what's really happening to the tech sector? You know, we've seen a huge amount of layoffs from media companies, but a lot of that's connected to, you know, Facebook's layoffs or, or Google's or, or other big co's. You know, these changes that are happening the other side of the pond, does the UK public service broadcasters, do they have to follow suit or do they need to just um, plough their own furrow? Well, I mean, look, obviously, we've had a lot of job cuts and and going at the BBC. You know, Channel 4, ITV so far, and and Viacom so far seem to have been less less impacted. But you do wonder whether those US tech giants that you referenced that have grown very, very quickly, that spend a lot of money on innovating and R&D, are less mature, established businesses 
than the UK broadcasters, which have had many, many years to organise themselves in a way that is relatively efficient. Now, there's always the opportunity to, to make cuts, sadly, but I think the BBC has been the one that's hardest hit, and we haven't really seen that uh, in a significant in significant numbers in the UK. We're starting to see the first potentially the first signs of some kinds of shakeups happening in 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 the US that that ultimately could travel across the pond. But you know, let's hope let's hope that advertising holds up and the broadcasters don't have to make those difficult decisions. And it's interesting, last night we heard that uh, Yahoo are making a 50% cut of their advertising teams uh, across the world, which obviously affects a, a pretty decent-sized chunk of people here uh, in the UK as well. So it's definitely a story that we'll keep an eye on. Uh, right, well, to celebrate, Alex, your inaugural media show <laughs> appearance in your new role, we thought it best that the Media Quiz takes a look at the latest in TV content. So I've got three questions about changes to our screens. If you know the answer, just buy in with your name so Maggie you will say Maggie and Alex you will say Alex good right <laughs> understood off we go I can do this uh, question number one which British sitcom featuring a hotelier is being rebooted Maggie oh. Maggie which which show Forty Towers Yes, that's right. John Cleese is back with his character uh, Basil Fawlty uh, navigating the modern world. It's somewhat divided people. I mean, I'd say I don't have the highest hopes uh, for the for the reboot. Alex, do you think it's going to be a, 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 a anti woke success? I mean, it'll be interesting to see where it lands. I mean, will the BBC go for this? I'm not sure that they would. I think that's they'll stay where steer well clear of it and think you know there's some there's, that, that's a reboot too far. But I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up on an American SVOD as a very middle-of-the-road, safe, light version of the iconic comedy that doesn't really um, have the same cultural impact. Maggie, would you be tuning in? I won't, actually. I really won't. I like, I love the original, but I can't, for the life of me, see why he's doing this. And we all know he had to go on sort of some sort of divorce-type tour, didn't he, when <laughs> he was out of running out of money. Whether this is... I mean, he's 83, now it's fine. We can have a sort of a pensioner comedy. But I just don't... I just think it's a shame. I don't know who's going to buy it. I mean, it's not at all clear from the story if he just has this idea and he's going to write it or if he actually has a customer. I mean, Alex's point is a good one. I mean, will the BBC want to run it? I think we'll see it straight to Dave, straight to Dave. Right, question number two. Uh, which GB News presenter is going to be replaced by a politician after a dispute over paying fines? Alex. Alex. It's uh, Mark Stowen of uh, yes. GB News. So for people who maybe have missed the Mark Stein show, do you want to give uh, our listeners a little brief outline of uh, his particular talents? Mark Stein is the, was, I should say, some time ago, GB News' eight o'clock weekday host. He was unfortunately suffered um, some ill health and disappeared from the airwaves for a while. And then the negotiations to bring him back proved particularly problematic and ultimately resulted in him refusing to come back because he was told that he was going to be held liable for any Ofcom fines incurred because he repeatedly declined to take part in any kind of compliance training. Yeah, also he is, is somewhat on the uh, anti-vaccine spectrum. 
What I did notice, though, is that tickets are available for his cruise, where you can you can go and see him and his friends uh, talk about the issues that are important to them. Personally, I don't want to get on a cruise ship with a load of anti-vaxxers. That's just just me. Just me. It's just 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 my just my opinion. Uh, right. So we got one apiece. So uh, this one uh, for the win. Number three. Uh, which BBC crime drama wrapped this week with a finale that topped TV viewing figures? Alex. Alex. Which one? Is it Happy Valley? It is Happy Valley. Uh, the Guardian <laughs> described the show as one of the greatest trilogies in modern television as viewers learn the fate of the police officer uh, Catherine Kaywood and, and criminal Tommy Lee Royce. Are you fans? Um, I didn't actually really like the final episode. I thought it went on oh. too long. I mean, I th- I, it, it went on an extra 10 minutes. I, yes, of course I watched it. And I, I'm glad that Alex has won the, the quiz. Thanks, um, I, um, But... Yeah, I mean, I think I've had enough of it now. Thank goodness. I do like the, I do like the star, though. Yes, uh, Alex. It's had BBC's had a pretty good run with its uh, with its drama recently. It has, and you know, it's got it's got more in the bag. We've got the gold coming up, yeah. which is the story of the Brinks Map heist. Well, congratulations, Alex, uh, on your win. Uh, as a special prize, you'll be going uh, on tour with Mark Steen <laughs> on his cruise. Uh, tickets uh, in the post. <laughs> Thank you so much. And where can people keep up with uh, what you're both up to? Alex, where can they find your your new work? Well, at the Times, and I'd welcome anyone to come and have a look and subscribe. I'm no longer at Broadcast. I'll be there at the Times, hopefully daily. Yes, I read you every day. I I read Alex. I take the Times and the Financial Times. So, yep, and the the Mirror. So, yeah, it's it's great to have a, a really experienced media journalist writing for the Times and at length, too. Very good stories you're doing. Um, me, well, I'm just me, really. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm doing things like this. I mean, I've been quite busy, sometimes behind the scenes with with Channel Four, but that's kind of calmed down. And I'm, I've got a few things I'm supposed to be writing, and I'm supposed to be contemplating a um, possible third book. Oh, I, I'm not sure. Not, not, not Channel Four at the moment. Um, I'm just sort of rather busy with with life you know life it does tend to get in the way it does tend to get in the way well thank you both for joining us uh, and we'll see you both soon thanks so much for sticking with us and especially as i'm a bit croaky uh, we do hope you enjoyed today's show as always though there's three things you can do to help support us and the team that keeps us working hard and bringing you all the media news every week most importantly go and become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash as well as just doing a good thing, you'll also be able to access a deep dive of interviews with loads of media experts, which will uh, keep your podcast device humming. That's patreon.com slash mediapod. Or if you haven't got spare change this week, uh, then just get onto our Twitter or LinkedIn and reshare some of our content. We really love to tell more people about the show. So just go to Twitter or LinkedIn, find one of our posts and give it some love. Uh, and remember, if you're new to the podcast, we're here every week and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting podfollow.com slash the media podcast. My name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. And it was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.